Good morning. Excited to be opening up God's word with you all once again. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 126. Um, it's a psalm we often use as a call to worship. Um, one of my favorite psalms, um, one of the most joy-filled psalms in my opinion. And hopefully after we kind of do a deep dive on this, the next time we do it as a call to worship, it could even speak truer to our hearts. So if you can, follow along with me as I read Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. You are the author of joy, and we thank you for that. We ask that we are able to rest in your word. We're able to rest in you we're able to see what it truly means to experience joy because of what you have done for us. We want to give all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. As a kid of the 90s, I would watch a specific Steven Spielberg movie over and over again. Does anybody want to take a guess? There is a hint in the sermon title. I know he's made a bunch of movies, so it's probably hard. I'll give you another hint. It had Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams in it. Hey, there you go. Hook. The movie was Hook. In my opinion, don't listen to the critics, don't go to Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. In my opinion, it's one of Spielberg's greatest works. If you're unfamiliar with the movie, it came out in 91, so I'm going to spoil it a little bit. But again, 91, statute of limitations, way past. But the whole point of the movie is that Peter Pan has left Neverland. He returned to the real world. He has grown up and he's moved on with his life. And he actually forgot all about his life as Peter Pan in Neverland. That is until Captain Hook comes and kidnaps his children and takes them back to Neverland. This leads Peter to make a return to Neverland, forced very aggressively by Tinkerbell, or Tink, uh, played by Julia Roberts. And then once Peter is there, he has to fight Captain Hook to save his children. What a movie. Five stars. <laughs> On Peter's journey, he must learn how to use his powers again. One of Peter Pan's most important and famous powers is what? His ability to fly. All right. This was a power he lost, and not only did he lose it, as an adult, he developed a crippling fear of flying. But what originally gave Peter the ability to fly? What does Peter tell Peter to do? Anybody? Find your happy thought. While this is hard for Peter at first, he eventually finds his happy thought. He yells, I'm a daddy. Now you might know why this movie is on 
her mind. So this thought launches into the sky. Peter Pan is back. The rest of the movie, you see Peter Pan. He's smiling. He's joking. He's laughing. He's playing. His youthful nature is back. He's able to do the unimaginable. Joy and happiness has changed his very outlook on life. The world was still the same. Captain Hook still had his children. He had to get them back. But he now was facing a broken world with eyes filled with joy instead of fear. That's our passage. And it's far more beautiful than you can ever imagine. Because of what God has done, we are to be overwhelmingly filled with joy now and forever. Using our passage, let's see that. Let's see what it looks like to be joyful what God has done. Let's read verses 1 through 3 once again. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Derek Kinder in his commentary on the Psalms has probably the best way of explaining the feeling or the mood captured here from the author and those singing this song originally. He starts off by saying, these people are filled with delirious happiness and relief. Delirious happiness and relief. A couple of translations kind of tweak the last part of verse 3. In the ESV, as we read, it said, we are glad. The NIV says, we are filled with joy. The Revised Standard Version says, we were overjoyed. Filled with so much joy that it's overflowing. Picture joy as water in a pitcher. And more and more water is added to it that it flows out. And now it saturates everything that it comes in contact with. That's how much joy they had. So clearly, the ones singing these verses, they were overjoyed. They were filled with joy. They were so happy because of what God has done. Other people are looking at them saying, hey, your God has done great things for you. But just what exactly did God do to cause them to sing this song? There are a couple of historical takeaways or perspectives or understandings when you dive into when this was written and, and the verbiage that was used when you go back to the original languages. There's a big consensus that this was probably written when God's people had returned from exile. The Israelites had come back to Jerusalem around 538 B.C., and they, they had returned after being conquered and forced to leave their homes. And now they're coming back in. God has brought them back, God's people back to the promised land, the place that God had secured for them. Even when the reason for their exile was because of their own apostasy, that their own falling away from God's plan and living lives outside of God's will and desire for them. God had still restored them to where they belonged. And it's not just that God brings them back into an old land. He then restores the fortune. The language is, is strikingly similar to the language used in the book of Job. Do you remember that story of the book of Job? Job was tested in every way possible. And he still never gave up his faith in God. And then after everything was taken from him, after everything was done, what did God do? 
He restored his fortunes. And Job 42.10 says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job, after everything he went through, had his fortunes restored and then doubled. His fortune was larger than he could even comprehend. So we have the people singing this song. They're God's people, and they're released from this captivity. They're they're freed from the bondage of oppression and slavery. They're sent back into the promised land after exile. And the riches are beyond what they had experienced before. This psalm is, is also worded in a way that it was probably sung over and over again after it originally was written. Maybe not for the exact same reason, but it always was a general psalm of praise after times of struggle or famine or siege or war or captivity or even plague. In every reason this psalm was sung, it always pointed to a saving force. And that saving force was the work of God. And then my favorite part of this entire psalm, how did it make them feel? Yes, they were full of joy, but what did they experience? They were like those who dream. Imagine if you can. They're freed from an oppression so great, and now they actually have experienced freedom. Think about it. There's a chance that some were born in captivity. Some were born in exile. All they knew was oppression. A life of oppression and captivity that is now over. A life of freedom is now given to them. One commentator says, Dreamers indicates that the Israelites were in a daze as though awakened by surprise. Another one says, this could mean the speakers were so overcome with ecstatic joy that they were like those who fantasize about pleasurable experiences in their sleep. The world that they knew was filled with pain, heartache, and misery. One where the emotion of joy and happiness literally wasn't possible. They were so burdened with the reality of their situation that they couldn't even dream. They couldn't imagine what joy and happiness was, and now they can. Now they can dream. And in this freedom, what do they do? They laugh. They experience joy together with shouts of joy. They praise the Lord. They are joyful for what God has done. So what about us? What does the psalm mean to God's people now? We have not experienced this type of exile or captivity that God's people did in the Old Testament. How can we read the psalm and still be moved by it? How can we be joyful for what God has done? You can start simply by asking questions, what is it that God has done for you? And and you might answer with small things, right? God sees me through each and every day. God heals me when I'm sick. God provides for me. Those are all great things. And God has given us so many small and wonderful blessings. But what's bigger than that? What is return from exile level big? One commentator says it like this. When, when how we can apply this psalm to our lives, he simply says this. It is good to observe how God's deliverances of the church are for us that we may rejoice in them. And how ought redemption from the wrath to come, from the power of sin and of Satan to be valued, the sinner convinced of his guilt and danger, when by looking to a crucified Savior, he receives peace to his conscience. 
and power to break off his sins. It is now a reality. We are God's people, and we are sinful people at the same time. We are in an exile, but an exile of our own making. One that's not physical, where our homes were taken from us, or where we're forced to leave. We exile ourselves through our sinful actions. We are separated from God. We are forced to leave the very place we were created to be, and that is in the arms of God, our Father. And this is our exile. And if we lived in that reality, if that's where the story stopped, it would be debilitating. It would make it impossible to dream, impossible to be happy, impossible to experience joy. Because all we would know is exile. All we would know is that we have doomed ourselves for all eternity. And it would be pretty messed up if I stopped talking there. But in that darkness comes light. Then comes the work of God in the form of a baby. A child that will live a perfect life. Obeying God's rules and law perfectly. One who is always in the fold of God. One who has never or will never have been exiled from God because of his own sins. One who can stand in front of God and say, I am righteous because he actually is. That's not what Jesus does. Instead, he decides to die on a cross to take the punishment of sin for God's people. Jesus voluntarily goes into exile so that God's people can come home. Jesus voluntarily decides to experience death and separation from God so that we can experience life and communion with God. The work of bringing God's people back into the fold of God was finished upon that cross. And because of the cross, we are brought out of our own exiles back into the promised land. Where we can experience joy, where we can dream. Where the debilitating reality of a self-imposed exile is wiped away, we can now experience freedom. Thinking about hook again. Remember Robin Williams' take on Peter Pan. At the start of the movie, you have this pessimist, right? You have this, this guy who's grumpy. He's, he's hyper-focused on work. He's so focused that he starts neglecting his own family. There isn't a lot of joy left in his life. At the start of the movie, he's denying that he is Peter Pan. It's this old, grumpy guy yelling at the Lost Boys. But then comes a change. He learns to hold on to his happy thought. And once he does that, what happens to him? If you've seen the movie, remember the scene right after he learns to fly. He has found his joy, his happy thought. The joy changes him to his core. He starts playing games with the Lost Boys. Everybody starts losing their minds. All the Lost Boys are freaking out. Pan is back. He's far from the man he was at the beginning of the movie. His life is radically different because of his joyful thoughts. And that's what leads him to help, that leads him to help save his kids through the rest of the movie. So too should our lives be changed by the finished work of Christ. We have a new lease on life when we accept Jesus' sacrifice for our own lives. 
and for the freedom that he has secured us, that we are brought back from exile. We are headed back into the fold of God to enjoy him and worship him forever. Our exile is ending, and we can be joyful for what God has done. There's one commentator says, it was like a dream, how we can laugh, how we can sing for joy, how happy can we be? But notice I specifically said our exile is ending. The first three verses are, are some of the most hope and joy-filled verses in the Bible. And it's important to know that the psalm starts off that way because it is a fact. God's work is accomplished. The sole purpose for us to be joyful is there day to day no matter what because his work is done. His work is finished. But we wait. And we should be joyful while we wait. Looking at verses 4 through 6. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in a geb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Bring his sheaths with him. For God's people originally singing this song, they may have come to a better understanding of what is being said here. The first three verses of the psalm are pretty clear. God's work is done, but then verse 4 hits, and there's kind of some tension, right? If God's already restored the fortunes of Zion, why are we calling for him to restore our fortunes again? And then the very next line, the streams in the Geb. The Negev is, is known as the southernmost part of Palestine, and it literally means to be dry or parched. Restore our fortune. Make waters rush into a dry, barren land and make it bright and fertile. It's asking for a big transformation. And then what happens? There will be sowing, right? And there'll be sowing in tears, but you're going to reap with shouts of joy. Where once the farmland was, was infertile, the work was long, arduous, and painful. But now God has made it fertile. And the response will be joy. Still work to be done, but their hearts are filled with joy, and the work is bountiful. Some commentators also put uh, an interesting uh, point of emphasis on this part of the, the psalm. And, and they acknowledge that this was written for um, those who had not yet returned from exile. So it's a cry for God to, to keep drawing them back. Bring them back into the fortunes of Zion. Bring them back to where they should be. And it's heartbreaking and beautiful because you have those who have been restored looking out saying, come back in, come back in. There are people who've received freedom and they're saying, God has done it. He's completed his work. Now, now come back into the fold of God. Listen to his call in your life. Come back to him. Experience freedom. God's ultimate work of salvation is finished, but this side of heaven, pain and hardship still exist. But how can we still today understand the beauties of these verses? And how can we find joy while we wait? When we read our Bibles, when we see the work of Christ and what he has accomplished, we should never go a day without being relieved and filled with joy. And that's something that we have that those originally singing the songs didn't. They didn't have the fulfillment of God's saving work in Christ. They knew he was doing it and that he is going to do it and he will come through. But they didn't know who Christ was going to be or how he was going to accomplish God's work. But we do know that, and that should bring us joy. 
The world is not as easy as that. We're often confronted with the reality of this world that it is broken. And whether that be the sins we have committed ourselves, the sins others commit, or the sheer fact that the world has been broken to its core all the way back from Eden, things are not supposed to be this way. But God's ultimate work is finished, and that should give us joy. It should sustain us. But we still have to work and live in a broken world. We still have to be used by God to help show people what it means to live with overwhelming joy. Come experience this freedom that I know because of what God has done. In Hook, when Peter Pan is learning to fly, he's searching for his happy thought. And he just can't find it. Some time passes and Tink looks at him and says, I can see why you're having trouble finding a happy thought. So many sad memories, Peter. In Peter's world, it was hard for him to hold on to his happy thought. But he does have one. And now it was a matter of resting in that thought. Even when the world has given him so many sad thoughts. Can we do the same? Can we rest in what God has done in the middle of a broken world? And I acknowledge that it's hard to experience joy when we only see or experience the bad, the negative, the the broken nature of this world. It limits our ability to dream. It can even make us angry or cynical of this world. And that's okay. Sometimes we will be in such a place that it's hard to see the joy of God's completed work. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian if you struggle to hold on to that joy. But never stop trying. Never stop looking towards God or allowing him to speak into your heart because we can still be joyful and we can still dream while we wait. I wrote this paragraph like, three times, and every time this happened. So I'm not going to read it. (laughs) Not because crying is bad or you shouldn't cry, it's because you don't need to have the next ten minutes be uh, me crying. But if you can think of a really sweet and beautiful story of an example of me dreaming about Lark, that was what was going on here. So instead, I'll simply conclude with this. This world is messy, yes, but the fix is in. The work is completed, but for now, we have to wait and we have to work. And in this time, we should cry out for God to help bring light to the darkness or water to the desert. We can and will experience the pain of this world. But let's help each other to train our eyes to be focused on what is coming. So we can sing a line like, onward to eternal glory, to my Savior and my God. And we can sing that full well knowing that we have been saved by Christ's finished work. And we're still waiting for Christ to come and make all things new. So I hope you can find beauty in this psalm and in that truth. I hope that it brings you joy. And I hope that you have freedom in that, that you're being filled with joy. I hope you acknowledge this world is not perfect, but one day it will be. I hope that you are radically changed by God's love for you 
so much so that you can be deliriously happy and filled with relief. I hope you can see that because of what God has done, we are to be overwhelmingly filled with joy now and for forever. I pray and hope you realize that you are freed from your own exile and you can now dream. Let's pray. Dear God, you have done great things for us. And we are overwhelmed. We are overflowing with joy, God. We ask that all we go through in life, the ups and the downs, we never cease to stop looking at you, God. We ask that you fill us with joy and happiness. We ask that you fill us with relief, God, throughout our lives, God. We thank you for all you have done and all you will do and all you continue to do. And for that, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. For you're the only one worthy of it. Amen. Amen. Um, as you might be able to discern, if you didn't hear, we were gonna, we're going to start passing out the 